Y'all, it's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a Sunday where we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus. So he's entering the final week on his life here on earth, and he is coming to establish his kingship on the throne once and for all. This is where the Bible comes to its climax. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his death on the cross on Good Friday, and then his resurrection next Sunday. And so we have two bookends on Holy Week or Passion Week, as many call it. This Sunday, we celebrate Palm Sunday, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, not on a stallion, but on a donkey. And the next week, we have Easter Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we go from victory to victory. And what I want to do this morning is talk about the middle. Because we often miss out what's in the middle. And what I think is so significant about what's in the middle, what happens this week is that it helps us in times of weakness. We don't like to be weak. We don't like to acknowledge that we need help, that we need strength from above or from a friend or from some stranger. It's hard for us to humble ourselves, and yet that's exactly what Jesus teaches us in the middle. This week, as he enters, after he enters into Jerusalem, and then as he, uh, right before he resurrects from the dead. So that's what I want to look at. We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning, but before I'll hit us with a few other verses, first of which is what we're going to be focusing on next week. It's in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and it says this, by, uh, 1 Corinthians, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ next Sunday, but the reality is as followers of Jesus, we celebrate the resurrection every day. Anybody else out there with me? Every day we celebrate that God not only raised Jesus from the dead, but that he's also rising something in us in every season of our life. And next Sunday, we'll hear from not one, but two real life resurrection stories. It's one of my favorite things and traditions that we have as a church is that on Easter Sunday, the pastor steps aside and the church takes center stage. And we hear from y'all, from us, the body, what God is doing individually individually in our lives, and then also we are challenged. What is he raising in us personally? I believe that individually he is rising our, our faith. He is raising in us a new faith. But I also think that in our community, we're seeing something fresh and new in this season, something that God is stirring up. I think that seats are filling here in this place, not so that we can have consumers, not so that we can be just puffed up with either self-righteousness, thinking well, I'm going to church, I'm doing the right thing, but so that we can be equipped for the work of true ministry, which happens outside of these walls, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. That's where God shows up in powerful ways. So I, I feel this raising theme over us as a church, as a community. I don't think it's a coincidence that it also happens in spring when the green is coming out and the blue bonnets and the wildflowers are sprouting up. God is raising us up. That is what we will continue to celebrate next Sunday. And then I want to really go deep this week with weakness because, yes, it's Holy Week, it's Passion Week, it's also a week of weakness. 
Jesus goes through some really, really hard stuff, and Paul gives us the key of uh, what it means to be strong in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about this thorn in his flesh. That's the context. He's, we don't know what this thorn is. It could be a sin issue. It, it could be some sort of illness, something that he is carrying, and it's obviously bugging him. And so he asks God to take that away. Lord, take this thorn away. And God responds with this. He said to me, so God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't like to be weak. I don't like to be weak. I don't like to acknowledge that I need help or that I need strength from someone else or from God. This is the Apostle Paul, y'all wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else. And he is saying that he is strong when he is weak. He's got some things figured out. And I think Jesus cracks the code for us as he lives out the final week in his life and shows us how to have power in our weakness. Before we jump to John, though, I want to go back to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, Jesus is uh, done all these cool miracles and, and healings, and he asks the disciples this question. Who do people say I am? And they say, oh, they say that you're Elijah. They say that you're a prophet. And then he turns the question to them personally. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up. You got to love Peter. We're going to be talking about Peter again this morning. And he says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's correct. You, 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 you've received that information, not from me, but from from God. And then he goes on to say this in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, put yourself in the story for a minute. You just got the right answer that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the deliverer of his people. He's gonna be king forever. And then Jesus begins to teach them that he must suffer, that he will be rejected, that he will be killed. And then three days rise again. If I'm one of the disciples, I'm not paying attention to this risen, again, I'm paying attention to this, to this other stuff. What do you mean, Jesus? You are the king and yet you have to be, you have to be weak? You have to go through all of these weak Moments he spoke plainly about this, and then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I think that's what Peter was channeling. He was channeling his inner, you know, no way, man, you can't be doing it. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter. Let's continue reading. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Sometimes we think, that weakness is, is, is for the weak, it's, it's for others. And, and what God is saying here is that in order to truly find power, true power, we must know 
our weaknesses. We must be okay and uh, rejoice in our weaknesses as Paul taught us before. He goes on and then he gives us this, these three directives for discipleship. He makes it super clear. This is the point of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. He called to the crowd, to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus. That's what God wants us to do. And so I wanna talk quickly about all three and then I wanna zoom in on the deny because that's what Jesus had us, uh, went through in his last week, a lot of denial, a lot of denial. So deny myself means self-sacrifice. It means laying down my pride. It means laying down my concerns and, and, and then taking up my cross. So when we lay something down, when we empty ourselves, only then can we pick something up and take up our cross. And all that is, is self-awareness. Self-awareness that we need Jesus, that we can't do this life on our own, that no matter how strong we may feel, pride comes before the fall at some point. We will come to a point in life where we won't have the strength to go through a circumstance or a trial or a hardship this side of heaven. That's why Jesus came. And so we need to be aware that Jesus went to the cross and poured out his love for us, not only to the sins that we commit, but sin is actually three-dimensional. We talk a lot about the sins that we commit to others, the, the wrongdoing, our, our shortcomings. But Jesus also covered the sins that have been done to us. He heals our broken hearts. He binds up our wounds. The blood shed on the cross was enough to heal us from the trauma and the things that we struggle with this side of heaven. That's the second dimension. And then the third dimension is the sin done around us. So there's sins done by us, there's sins done to us, and then sins done around us. And those are the, 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 the circumstances that we go through out there that, that God did not want to happen. So whenever you ask, man, why, if, if God is real, why would this tragedy happen? If God is real, why would this traumatic scenario occur? That's because we live in a broken world that God is on mission to redeem. He's making all things new and it's a process. And those traumas, even when they're not done specifically to us, if we're just around or when we hear something tragic that happened to a close friend, it bothers us, doesn't it? It bothers Jesus too. That's why he went to the cross to cover all of our sins. So when we take up our cross, we're aware of what Jesus did for us. We humbly recognize who we are and what Jesus did for me, and then follow Jesus. And that's a selfless lifestyle that we now live. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. We don't gratify the desires of what we want, but we now walk according to the way that Jesus has asked us to live and walk. We persistently follow him as Lord of my life. So now I wanna zoom in to deny myself because I think this is one of the hardest ones. We could talk about taking up our cross and being aware of all that Jesus did for us, but this denying the laying down our, our life and our concerns is difficult. And I counted five things, 
Five things in the final week in Jesus's life that people didn't, people close to Jesus did not lay down that I think we also struggle with laying down ourselves. And so I'm gonna flip to the gospel of John. This is the fourth gospel. In the gospel of John, if anyone were to ask me, what book would I start reading? If someone's gonna start reading the Bible and they ask, what book should I start with? John is a great book to start with because at the end of the book of John in chapter 20, um, it says that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, by, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the point of the gospel of John is that we may believe in Jesus explicitly. Every book points to Jesus. Every book talks about Jesus, but this one explicitly does a wonderful job. It actually, over almost half of the book of John is in this last week of Jesus's life. It, it has the upper room discourse, which is this long message that we won't go into today, where Jesus teaches us how to do life. And so I wanna start in verse 14. We're talking about six people, five things that we are called to lay down. These are real people, real problems that are so real in our day today. The first two are Thomas and Philip. They're disciples of Jesus. They've been with Jesus for a long time, been following him, been a part of his ministry. And in John 14, five, Thomas says to Jesus in response to Jesus saying, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be uh, taken up. I'm gonna go away. And, and Thomas says in verse five, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? How can we know the way to go to where you are at? And Jesus in verse six answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip then pipes up and he says, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Have you ever asked God something like that? Lord, I'll believe in you or I'll follow you. If you just show me a sign, if you just come through in this way, we put conditions to God. Have you ever done that in your life? Uh, you know, Lord, if you do this, then I will do blank. That's religion. Patrick talked about that last week as well, that God doesn't do religion. No, God does grace. He doesn't require anything from us. He lavishes instead his love on us. And then as a response to that unconditional free gift of grace, we then live out our life. And so Philip, uh, Jesus answers Philip in verse nine, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, Time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What are they, how are they denying Jesus? How are they denying Jesus? I think that they're denying Jesus by misunderstanding him. And we often misunderstand God, maybe by, by, by the up, our, our religious upbringing. You know, things get confusing and we actually complicate the simplicity of the gospel. And then, and then we're, we're selfish, here, Thomas and Philip are talking about, Lord, I want to know the way. Like, I want to just go to you. And, and Jesus says, I am the way. That, I've been among you this entire time. And I'm not only here for you. I actually want to use you to reach a lost world. God 
doesn't only want to bless us for us. He wants to use that blessing to bless those around us. And, and I think we need to lay down that selfishness. Even in our uh, uh, times when we can say, Lord, you know my needs, we should ask. We should ask with boldness. And, and we should also say, but Lord, show me. Show me. How, how can I be a blessing to someone else despite my weakness? Thomas and Philip misunderstood Jesus and they did not lay down selfishness. The next one is the bad guy in the last week of Jesus's ministry, Judas. We know he betrayed him in John 18, verses two to three. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Judas betrayed Jesus out of greed. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us 30 pieces of silver. What does that look like? in your life to deny Jesus instead of deny ourselves so that we can have more, 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 or more stuff. We rely on our own strength versus laying down our pride and our strength and saying, Lord, I'm gonna totally trust you to provide and come through. Judas betrays Jesus and, and we see him incapable of laying down Greed. He goes for the immediate need to meet his immediate financial need, and he trades an eternal consequence. Judas. Next is Peter. We talked about Peter already. He's one of, one of Jesus' closest friends and, and disciples. And uh, in John chapter 18, uh, Jesus is now arrested. He's taken away and, and Peter follows after uh, uh, Jesus. He has already been told by Jesus that he will deny him three times, which Peter did not believe him. He said, no, I will die for you, Jesus. And then we see Jesus, uh, Peter in this scene in John 18, verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. We don't really know who this other disciple is, but a lot of scholars think it was the, uh, the apostle John, the one who wrote the gospel of John. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. So Jesus was being interrogated by the high priest, uh, going to be... Uh, uh, convicted of heresy, of claiming to be who he really was, the son of God. But Peter had to wait outside the door. I think this is a significant detail in this story. John or whoever that disciple goes in with Jesus, Peter is left outside. And the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter and he replied, I am not. So we know that Peter denied Jesus three times, but digging a little deeper, here's what I think. I think Peter denied Jesus because he was alone. He was left outside of the room. 
when I'm alone, when I am left to defend Jesus and follow after him by my own strength, I am thankful that God shows me that I can't do it on my own, that I need brothers and I need sisters around me. I need the body of Christ. I need to be in the body of Christ to fortify my flesh that is failing. But his spirit is is able through the church, through my brothers and my sisters that come around me. That's why from the very beginning, we at Cypress Creek Church have been a church with community groups. We, we have been made up of community groups. We, we have these small groups where we can really know one another. We can really know each other's weaknesses so that we can fortify our faith. Reading this story, I wonder for you what that step looks like. What does it look like to lay down loneliness in your walk with the Lord? Maybe it's joining a community group, finding one on the guide or talking to someone here. Hey, community group leaders, can you guys just wave at me? If you lead a community group, uh, wave at me real quick. I know that's uncomfortable in the middle of the sermon, but look around. There's some community groups around you. Find one and say, hey, you're sitting close to me. I wanna find out when your community group meets because this is awesome. And here we worship God and we get all the warm and fuzzies and we hear the word of God preached and we hear the Holy Spirit convicting us, but it's the day-to-day that God has called us out to live in. And we see Peter, a giant, the one who established the church after the day of Pentecost, fail because he didn't have people around him. He laid, he denied Jesus because he didn't lay down loneliness. Let's pick up and take up community and fortify ourselves with other people. The next Character is Barabbas. So Jesus is taken to now Pontius Pilate. He is before this Roman prefect. So Tiberius was the Roman uh, emperor at the time, and he had uh, Pontius Pilate as the ruler to represent Rome in Jerusalem and Israel at the time. And so Pontius Pilate, we'll get to him next, uh, he didn't really understand what the deal was with between the high priest and the Israelites and, and, and Jesus. And so he thought that he was a free man. Again, we'll talk about him here in a bit. But then in the midst of the trial, Pilate as his custom in verse 18 and uh, chapter 18, 39 and 40. But it is your custom, Pilate is talking to the Jews, for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Barabbas was a rebel. He was a murderer, a convicted murderer and a convicted Robert, he was probably most likely a part of the Zealots, this group of Israelites that wanted to overcome Roman rule in their land so that they can have Israelite uh, rule and sovereignty. He, he, he had the people behind him as well, so much so that when given the opportunity, the people rejected the true king and living God over this guy that they were just excited to follow because they were zealous for power, unable to lay down hunger for power, and then they rejected Jesus. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, one of the very first things that he did was go to the temple, and he brought a whip with him, and he turned the tables over, and I mean, he made a scene. He was angry. 
what he was driving out from that place was not Roman rule or, or any sort of comfy, hey, I just want to have comfortable lives for you as, as my followers. No, what he was driving out was this corrupt system of religion that was occurring at that time. Money changers and, and all this corruption was happening right inside of the temple. And Jesus came to drive away religion so that we can go back to the core of the gospel which was the living God wants relationship with his image bearers. That's you and me. And so when, where we are hungry for power, let's lay that down and pick up relationship. Last person is Pontius Pilate. He, Jesus goes back to Pontius Pilate now, and, and uh, this is Pilate's last conversation with Jesus. In verse nine, he asked Jesus, where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. He knew he came from Galilee. He was trying to figure it out. He's trying to help him out. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Whoa, what a powerful statement from Jesus. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. He was telling him, hey, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on mission here. And you only have power because it was given to you by God so that my mission can be accomplished here on earth so that I can redeem all of Humanity, verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as a stone paving, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. At the end of the day, Pontius Pilate was unable to lay down people pleasing. He was unable to lay down the fact that he needed an answer to, to the Roman rulers and he didn't want a, a riot to happen. And if he wouldn't have released Barabbas, he knew that those zealots were gonna have a riot. And so he instead sent Jesus to be crucified. Now, all of these things happened so that the fulfillment of scripture could take place. But my friends, I hope you hear my point this morning that what it means to deny ourselves is to lay down selfishness, to lay down greed, to lay down loneliness and trying to do this walk on our own, to lay down any zealous or hunger for power and lay down people pleasing and pick up pleasing the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took up the cross for us and asked us to follow him. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We put Galatians 2.20 up there, please. Paul got it. Paul got it. And he wrote, he was used by God to, to 
to deliver his word to all people. And he said, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been, my, like, I am weak. I, I've been made crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. I've laid down, I've denied myself. I am no longer the one who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's go to the next slide. Deny myself, we've been crucified with Christ. We can lay those things down just as Jesus laid down his life for us. And then we take up, we're aware of what he did for us. So it is no longer us who lives, but Christ lives in us. And then we follow Jesus, the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We follow Jesus. When we are weak, he is strong. I wonder what that means for you this morning and in this season of life. Maybe it's a sickness that you are dealing with or a sin issue that you are processing and, and, and giving to God every single day. Or maybe it's a tense relationship, an estranged relationship, perhaps with a kid or, or a parent or a loved one. Or maybe it's fear of the unknown, not knowing what tomorrow is gonna look like in your job or in your financial circumstance. My friend, the message today is that there is great power in our weakness, thanks to the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's how I wanna close. I wanna close by reading John's crucifixion narrative in verse 17 of John 19. And as I read this, maybe... Uh, close your eyes or, or read the words on the screen or just listen to these words and take them personally for this is what our Savior did for us. This is what we are celebrating on Good Friday, the oxymoron that although it was a terrible day, it was a wonderful day for us because of how the story ends. John 19, starting in verse 17, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the school which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, it said. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. 
When they received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. If you're able to, let's stand and close in prayer. Lord, this morning we thank you that power comes through weakness, that you modeled that as you went to the cross for us. And Lord, that these three words, it is finished, are where we can receive your power, power to overcome and, and power to navigate any circumstance, any trial, any persecution or hardship. We thank you, Lord, for the finished work on the cross. We celebrate that this morning. And Father, I pray that as we lay down, as we deny ourselves and lay down our concerns and our pride, our, our stuff, Lord, that we would take up your cross, that we would be aware of what the cross means for us personally that we would have the strength and the power to continue to follow after you all the days of our life. Lord, I specifically pray for any thorn represented here this morning.